I have made concerted effort to be the show that is not constantly COVID-19 related. I want to start there today, but then you, the listener, have a lot of good feedback. We're going to do that and more on this week's Corey Truax Show. This is the best thing, the best thing that could be happening, and I think you would agree the best thing is that it's happening to you and me. And when I say COVID-19 related, I really mean some of the policies surrounding government policy surrounding trying to stop its spread and some of the overreach, the troubling things I'm seeing there, and maybe maybe some data related to when this all ends and how we can get back to some sense of normalcy. We'll get started on that in just a moment. First, my name is Corey Truax. Thank you for listening to the Corey Truax Show on his radio talk 91.9 and 92.9 or wherever you find the podcast. I mean this. It's genuine. It's not just something I say. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the show. You know, this last week, Eric Erickson, a big talker, like someone with a real a real deal audience, shared my show on Twitter. And I saw a little spike in listenership. And this COVID-19 thing, it's, it's apparently been good for two entities in the country. It's been good for the pets of America, because we're all home and they're getting more attention. And it's been good for my show, for some reason. I'm, I'm having a spike here of listenership, and I think it's because we're all just out of things to do. Once Tiger King ends, you can only watch the Marvel movie so many times before you go, all right, I guess I'll listen to that Corey guy. So thank you for those who are listening. I am uh, I am grateful for it, especially when you rate the show, review it, tell others, other people about it, share it with others. It is certainly helpful to me. We're dedicated to smarter, deeper, and better talk about everything here on the Corey Truax Show, and we're going to do that today broadly through a lot of your feedback. We'll get to that after we start with some COVID-19. I've I've mostly kept that stuff till the end of the show and just did a little bit on it because you're getting enough COVID-19 news. But there's some things pressing on me that I want to say about it. Number one, we are starting to now have data sets available to start making informed decisions about what worked, what didn't, and what we should do next. A big theme of mine this far on the show and in personal conversation has been when it comes to COVID-19 policy, our biggest problem is lack of information. No one knows anything. No one really knows the infection rate or the death rate, hospitalization rate. And when we even start trying to bring those out of an Italy or a South Korea and then compare that to countries who are more or less developed, a bottom line is for all the stats and data we're getting, no one really knew anything. Now that we are several months into it, we're starting to get to know some things. And we need to start deciding how we're going to use that data in policy making. This is a very important point to make at the start. Policy must get made on the broad, data-driven world and never on anecdote. COVID-19 has produced a great deal of sad stories. And we, especially, I come from a Christian perspective on this show, the heart should ache for people who are affected by what's happening here. That's That needs to happen. Just because it's happening in New York and New Orleans, and we are here in the Southeast not really feeling the pinch of it, although we are still feeling the pinch of it here, the economic effects, like there's a lot of compassion and empathy to be had, and we need to have it. Then we make policy, and, you can't, and we can't deal with individual stories, then we have to deal with data and information. So one that occurred to me, It occurred to me that I live in a state that was late to the party on all the shutdowns. 
I live in a state that was one of the last to close the schools. I live in a state, and many in the southeast, Mississippi, Alabama, were also in this group, were some of the last to have a, we were the last to have a stay-at-home order. There was even some national news that seemed to be putting pressure on state leaders down here in the south and some other places, uh, some peer pressure to have these stay-at-home and shelter-in-place type orders, and we were the last ones. There was even a story I shared with you a couple weeks ago that Greenville County, South Carolina, where I call home, technically I'm a Pickens County resident, but I think of myself as a Greenvillian, it was the county that traveled the most uh, on that weekend leading up to the actual shutdown of everything. The logic would suggest that the places who didn't do those measures, like they weren't careful, there had people moving around, still going to events. Those places should be getting pounded by COVID-19. If, if you're telling me the way you don't spread it is you shut the economy down and, by pro- and the byproduct is cause a depression, maybe a recession, but probably a depression. Well, why aren't we getting pounded? Why isn't South Carolina just in the ravages of COVID-19? And let's pray that I'm you know, two weeks from now, three weeks from now, I'm not saying, oh man, we, we, we missed it. But certainly now, if, if we weren't getting pounded by our, our behavior from months ago, now that we're all locked in our homes, of course we're, we're not going to get hurt now. And so what I'm saying is, all right, so now we have some data. We had states who locked down early, the Californias and the New Yorks. We had the states that didn't really lock down at all until very recently. Well, hey, let's take a look at that. You know, this pandemic has provided academics and policymakers so much information to study for decades to come on how different countries handled different things, how different states in the United States handled the, the different ideas around not spreading this thing. And so what I am saying to federal policymakers and state policymakers, the logic is you said shutting the whole thing down should stop the spread. Well, we really didn't shut it down. We were the last to do it. You would think we would suffer the consequences, and we have not. We now have countries who did it differently. We now have the example of Sweden, which I've looked into with some depth, who, who didn't shut down. Didn't shut down schools. They did not shut down restaurants. All they did in restaurants was say, uh, no eating at the bar. So you can't go get super close to each other at the bar. We want tables spread out from one another. But we're still going to have a country that's operable. People are still going to go to, are still going to, go to work with the guidance, do a lot of hand washing, if you are sick, stay home. Uh, if, you, if you think you might be sick and you have to go in public, wear a mask. Like that, There was guidance given, and then Sweden kept going, and they're not suffering the consequences of not being overly cautious. We got the announcement from Texas this week. D- don't have the full details, but Governor Abbott there saying, we got to get back. We've, we've got to start moving back to some kind of normalcy. We can't just lock ourselves in our homes. And even in a state that big, I hope he does have the wisdom, wherewithal, to recognize Dallas and Houston are mega cities, or at least Houston is. Dallas is a fairly large city too, and maybe you should handle those cities with people that use public transit and a little bit more on top of each other. That should be a little different, but Texas is like a republic. It's like literally, it's a republic. It's, It's larger than a lot of countries. It takes like, I think, 16 hours to drive across the thing. There is no reason, even like a, uh, I don't know, like an El Paso should be treated the same as Houston. So you can make different policies for different places. And so we're, and so we're about to have that experiment. 
Texas is about to open, and we're going to see what does that mean if people start going back to school? What does that mean if you start opening business again, and what kind of spread would we get? One last final thought on the the data sets we're, we're about to start having available to us. The idea, from what I understood originally, the idea of everyone stay at home to flatten the curve and stop the spread, the point was not you're not all going to get or contract COVID-19. The idea was you can't all get it at the same time because if the country all gets it at the same time, we don't have the medical capacity to care for everybody, so we need to spread out the cases of it. So if we're going to end up having 200 million, let's say 200 million Americans ultimately contracting COVID-19 and then some percentage of those actually getting sick and heck, let's just say all 330 million Americans contract it. Some percentage of that is going to get very sick. Some smaller percentage of that is going to need a hospital bed. Then some much smaller version of that is going to need an ICU. And then an even smaller percentage of that is going to need intubation or ventilation or to have a ventilator. We just can't have it all happen at the same time. And so if we have flattened the curve, and it does seem that we have, that we're getting fewer new cases, even in places that have robust testing, then all right, I think it's time. I think we have enough data and information to say being so super careful probably had some some effect, but the places that weren't super careful didn't suffer the consequences for it, at least in sickness. We've all suffered the economic consequences, but not the actual sickness here in South Carolina and the places like us. We can now look to Sweden and we're about to look at Texas and its reopening to see what we can start doing to reopen and stop, and stop paying this mass economic consequence that we have paid. The other part of this I wanted to get to was from Zach. He wrote this a while ago. I'm just going to read it directly. Um, so Zach wrote in on Twitter and said, I've been mulling over some some aspects of debt and debt forgiveness. One is the fact that this massive bailout of society, so this thing that Congress did, $2 trillion, is putting even more on the credit card, so putting more national debt, for future generations to pay. What right do we have to plunge them into debt to sustain our standard of living? Should we as a current society take collective consequences of having not prepared for a pandemic rather than placing the monetary obligation on some future society? Is it not the American way to make sacrifices today for a generation that is not yet to be born? Yeah, I thought about that some too. And that's another one of those like policy things that now here in the aftermath we need to explore. The same way that I'm, we're now seeing that maybe locking the entire country down wasn't the thing to do. And also, maybe $2 trillion spent in that way was the irresponsible thing. Maybe we should suffer the consequences in some ways of our action, our lack of preparation, so as to be a virtuous people looking on to future generations that we are not the it. We are, we are not the termination point that we want to set up economically some strength for generations to come. And so that's another policy that needs to be examined in the aftermath. And I'm, I'm with Zach on that. We, to be a sacrificial people that we don't spend money we don't have. So it's because it's going to have deleterious consequences on the group behind us. Final thing on COVID-19. Take a break. We're going to come back. I'm just, I am very now deeply disturbed by the amount of leaders, we call them, or, or should be our representatives, who have taken powers up, up for themselves during this crisis that they do not have. 
that is unconstitutional and that now in the aftermath as we judge what system worked to stop the spread and what our policy should be financially, one of the things that needs to happen is certain law enforcement and local municipalities need to be punished. There needs to be lawsuits filed. We need to get some clarification from the judiciary that because we declared a state of emergency doesn't mean the government becomes God. It doesn't become sovereign and it can't do whatever it wants. I will give you just a couple examples that really got me going. There was a church in Mississippi that did one of those drive-in services and the uh, local, not, not the governor, but some local leader sent the cops out there to write $500 tickets to those people for their drive-in service in cars, not talking to each other directly, not being close to each other, but they just decided it's not essential. I, des- I decided, because I'm, I am it, I'm the centerpiece of all being, I get to decide what's essential and what's not, and I decided your church service is not essential, and they went out and wrote those tickets. That should not be. It is unjust. It's wrong. And we need clar- clarity in the aftermath of this crisis to sh- tell governments, you can't do that. You, you don't get to have that authority. There was in Kentucky, the Democratic governor there, telling uh, their law enforcement on Easter, on Resurrection Sunday, collect the license plates of the people in church parking lots. If it's clear they're having a service, collect your license plates. Send send them to the health departments so that there could be some kind of monitoring or some kind of further consequence. This is immoral. This is wrong. You do not have the authority to punish people for practicing their First Amendment right. This There's a story of a woman in York County, Pennsylvania. It's a very rural area. She gets pulled over, and she's, she'd been quarantined for a while. She gets questioned by the police, and she just says she's out for a drive. She just needed a change of scenery. She's not getting out of the car, not stopping at a gas station. She's just out for a drive. She just needed to get some, some fresh air, windows down, driving around. And they ticket her and send her home. They don't have that authority. You don't have... You don't have the authority to tell me I can't drive around if I want to drive around. That's not something government has. You might have seen the man arrested for, or almost arrested for surfing in Malibu during this time. I am starting to see the hypocrisy of some of these leaders that make these rules. So take Bill de Blasio, who is, uh, was first, you know, during the beginning of this, working out in a gym after telling everyone they couldn't work out in a gym. And now he is going... He lives on the island of Manhattan. It's not that big. There are actually parks everywhere. And even though Central Park is shut down, the other parks that are not shut down, he could be walking in those, but he had a particular park he wants to walk in to get his exercise. And so they're driving, I mean, it was dozens of blocks to get there for him to walk where he wants to walk. And he says he need, he needs that because he's a more effective mayor if he gets, you know, he gets his blood pumping, he gets some exercise. You may have seen it was the mayor of Chicago who specified in her order that hair appointments and getting... She actually told a joke about when she was giving the order, getting your roots touched up isn't essential. And then we find her getting her, her hair done with a, at, at some salon that she has her private person come in. But for the rest of us, oh no, you all lock in place. Here's what that tells me. None of you believe it. You, you Chicago mayor, you don't believe it. And if you actually believe you, you, people getting their hair done, Blasio uh, or whatever his name is, Bill de Blasio, that's it. If you actually believe people walking in the park is risking people's lives, then you're both socio- sociopaths. You're both psychopaths. You're telling me 
that if I go to a park and walk, I could be killing someone. You tell me if I go to a salon, I could be killing someone. And then you go and do it? Then you're murderous. You're murderous people. It's obviously you don't, uh, you don't even believe the things you're saying. And therefore, final thought, government is taking upon itself authority it does not have. It's seeing its leaders, some of its leaders, be hypocritical in the implementation of those standards. And right at that point, you have created an environment where civil unrest and rebellions of sorts start to become attractive to some people. Not to me. In my flesh, they're attractive. But I'm telling you, you could be causing yourself some serious problems with unrest if things don't change soon about opening up and having some new discussions about our freedom and the people suffering consequences when they violated freedom during this time. When we come back, it's all about you. You have wrote, written into the show with lots of good content. I will respond to it when you return for the rest of the Corey Truax Show. Welcome back to the Corey Truax Show on his radio talk 91.9 and 92.9 or wherever you find the podcast. One other very wise thing you can do is find me on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Look for me, Corey Truax. You will find me there. And you will find all kinds of content throughout the week so that it's not just Wednesday podcast day or Saturday live radio day. There's lots of stuff out there, including, for example, I had the opportunity to preach at Beachwood Church on Easter and or Resurrection Sunday, as I prefer to call it. And you can find that sermon. And when I say you can find that sermon, I mean you can find the last 31 minutes of it because I forgot to press record for the first five minutes. So... It was a 36-minute sermon, and some of you are thinking, that's great. I don't like 36-minute sermons. 31-minute sermons are way better. Well, you're in luck. You can go find that on the podcast feed, wherever you find it, Spotify, Anchor, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, anywhere you find podcasts. Speaking of Spotify, got an email that is really well-written, so I actually want to read the entire thing on the air and respond as I go, and it's from a new listener, and so that's, uh, that's exciting stuff. So here we go. Uh, responding to something I said on, I think that was last week's episode or maybe two weeks ago. Here we go from Christina. She says, hi there. My name is Christina. I recently found your show when I was looking for a Christian perspective on COVID-19 on Spotify. I've never been much into politics and you're better off for it. Believe that. But enjoy your conservative yet fairly or pretty nonpartisan perspective on the issues. Hey, well, thanks. I try to be nonpartisan. I had a discussion with somebody here recently that the Christian worldview is particularly Nonpartisan. The Christian worldview, the biblical worldview, says to a world that says, pick a side, pick a side, pick rich, pick poor, pick Democrat, pick Republican, pick liberal, pick conservative. The biblical worldview says, no, I pick Jesus. And he's not any of those things. He breaks all molds. Uh, continuing with her email, I appreciate your humility. Whoa, no one has ever appreciated my humility because I don't have it, much of it. I'm trying, guys. I'm trying to have more humility. I appreciate your humility and realizing your own flaws, yet moving forward and doing the work that you feel God has called you to do. Christina, that made my day. So thank you for that opening paragraph. Paragraph two. I had a question for you based on something you said on the most recent episode of the podcast. You mentioned the idea that the church does not have such a foot in the door for helping financially with social issues. Your point, the way I understood it, was that if the government let off, the church would be able to have the opportunity to meet needs like poverty or caring for vulnerable populations. This is an idea one of the candidates in North Carolina for 
Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson, who actually grew up in an abusive home and, and was eventually put in foster care, also believes. So to, I just want to expound on that really quickly. Yeah, there's a, there's a thing called the crowding out effect. Libertarians have done a great job of popularizing. It's a very academic subject. But one of the reasons charities and churches don't do more is because there's less to do. Government becomes the, the default, and so there's less space to do ministry. She continues, he, this is Mark Robinson, candidate for lieutenant governor of North Carolina, stated in a talk that if the government would largely reduce their impact with social services, the YMCA and church groups could fill the gap. I 100% believe that. I guess I'm wondering, if the church already does not use much of its financial resources to spread the gospel and provide for local needs of its surrounding populations, do you think they would step up if government programs ceased? When So I'm going to stop there. Yes, I, I do think churches would for two reasons. One, the, the need would be so obvious, and it's actually the need that I think Christians and human nature— responds to more naturally like our actual biggest problem is not being reconciled to god it's an uns it is almost an unseen enemy that people need the gospel but when people are literally in poverty don't have a place a roof over their head and clothing christians have actually historically been really good at that because it's an obvious problem and then christians stop living in so much opulence and stop living in so much comfort we're all willing to have less to start I think this would happen. I think Christians start canceling some of the subscriptions they don't use. You know, we're all members of Hulu, Netflix, Disney Plus, and a bunch of other stuff. We start canceling that stuff. We start living more frugally because we're looking around the world and going, they, they need us. Whereas right now, why would I live any different? Why would I live any more frugal? Government will take care of them, and the government's already taxing me. So they're using my money anyway. That ends up being the attitude. My second point there is actually that one. If the government were doing less, they would also be able to tax less. I think about me. Almost one-fifth of my, my income went to some government last year. What if I had 10% more of my money? What if I, I, got, I had that returned to me? I, I'm fine. I live fine. I've got to, praise the Lord, I've got a really easy life. I would be generous with that. And I think more Christians would if we had more money in our pocket. But the government is both taking our money so that we can't do good with it and then using that money to do all of the work. So I actually do think so. I think if, if the government did less and correspondingly taxed less, true Christians would, right, real Jesus followers, would adjust our lifestyles and use our now, uh, our more increased resources to help others. Back to the email. When I looked at some of the stats... 85% of the $103 billion given to American churches is spent on internal operations and only 15% on outreach. Yeah, I've seen that too. I've seen that stat. The, that ratio needs to be different, but I would... You know, man, the, the church is a, it's such a diverse thing. Because I, th I think of my church. I mean, we got a... Our budget is less than $100,000 for the whole year. We really have only one full-time person on staff. And our, our ratio is not that, but it's, it, probably, it is more ministry, depending on how we 
I'm not, not talking about Beachwood now, I'm talking about churches largely, how we define ministry. Because I, I think about paying a pastor. Is that an internal operation or is that outreach? I guess it can be both. It's certainly not only internal operation. I mean, this is a biblical principle that we have pastors and elders. They're supposed to be dedicating their time to prayer in the word, learning more, having more depth, and then explaining that to even not just on Sundays, but during the week being a disciple uh, and, and helping to disciple the people. So when you start thinking about, well, 85% is internal. Well, if you're paying a pastor and you're counting that as internal, I wouldn't. And then you start having things like property upkeep. That can get expensive. But even that, like with the, now you actually have a facility, you have a place where ministry can be done. So the definitions get all weird. But in short, yes, I think if there were more opportunity, oh, I'll give you an example. Let's say there was a more obvious opportunity to do mercy-related ministry, food, shelter, like physical needs. I do think you'd have some churches decide to downsize their buildings and their sound systems and say, the people around us need us. I, I, I think it would happen. Um, but I've seen that same stat, Christina, and I was discouraged by it when I saw it, but I also think there's some context it needs. Uh, next from her, I sometimes feel the American church is more interested in making its own name great. Whoo! I don't know. I'm about to say girl, but I don't know if you're probably an adult woman, but girl, you're right. Oh boy, that was good. When I read it, I went, yep, I know those churches. And you say the, the American church, I would go church body by, by church body, but yes, there is a brand of American church that is about its own brand its own name and renown and its own its own footprint growing. That's without a doubt true. Uh, so she says, I feel the American church is more interested in making its own name great than being the hands and feet of Jesus to the lost and hurting. Yes, I think that's true for some. My experience being a foster parent, time out. Thanks for being a foster parent. Hey, listeners. That's one of the great, that is one of the great ways you can serve your community, serve the little ones, serve the children. I think it's one of the most beautiful things someone can do is serve as a foster parent. Adoption and fostering. Man, that, that's, that's the kind of stuff that will get me in my feelings. And so thank you, Christina, if any of my listeners, thank you for fostering. And when you have someone in your church who is doing it, ask them how they're doing. Ask how you can help. Fostering kids is hard. That's, that's good work. Uh, she says, my experience being a foster parent has shown me that even opportunities to support vulnerable children are largely missed by the church. Yeah, that's true. You know, one of my favorite stories on this, David Platt's church when he was at, what's the name of that church? Brook Hills. So the church at Brook Hills in Birmingham, Alabama. He called up a government leader and asked, like, what can we do? What does this city need? Because he's got this congregation of like five or 6,000. And Almost as a joke, this government leader, I think it was the mayor, said, and we've got 400 and some odd kids in foster care. What could you do about that? He took that before his megachurch, and it was only a couple months. It was a few months. They emptied the foster system. That one church, that one megachurch. Uh, but it is an opportunity that we as churches are missing. Now, I've heard the stat that if one family in every church 
fostered a kid, we could empty the entire foster system nationwide. Consider that. Just one family each church. Now, some, some churches are made up of nine or ten families, but some churches are made up of hundreds of families. And so if they could do more, uh, there's an opportunity there to be had. Back to the email, she says, what would it take for the church to step up and be the church? I realize my question is largely broad and does not apply to every single American body of believers. Oh, yeah. Well, she gave her own caveat that I kept giving. Uh, but in my experience, this rings true. I'd love to hear your thoughts in a future episode of your show. What will it take for the church to step up and be the church? That's going to that's going to be people walking faithfully and obediently, getting in the scriptures, growing in holiness, growing in righteousness, growing in their pursuit of Jesus. There is no magic bullet to it. It it is here's here's the solution. Be faithful. Pastors, preachers, influencers listening to me right now, be faithful. Preach the word in season and out of season. Exhort, rebuke, teach, admonish. Church members listening to me right now, be faithful. Stop taking the house of God so lightly. Tune in when it's on when it's having to be online, but be in that building when it starts. Walk circumspect. Look around your own neighborhood for what you might do for others. Ask principals at schools what you might be able to do to serve walk in a way in your own finances that opens up opportunity. Don't spend everything you have. Start living below your means so that you have the resources and wherewithal to help when you can. It is simply living the, the faithful Christian life that we are, we are here to follow Jesus and not tack him onto our lives that our lives are not for us to make a plan and then execute the plan and get what we want out of this life. No, we've been given the mission statement, the mission statements to go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And so what's it going to take? It's going to take Christians orienting their life around the making of disciples and giving up the reality that that's I might lose some earthly comforts for that. I might lose some of the ease of my life. I might start to feel like I don't have control of all the things I want to have control of. I might give up some influence and some power. I might lose the approval of a family member or someone at work if I live in that manner. And it will take Christians giving up those core idols and faithfully following after Christ. That's what it's going to take. You know, right now in the church world, it's very trendy to talk about the four core idols. Tim Keller of Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York City popularized these, that all of the sins that so easily beset us come down to four core idols. One of them is power. For some of you listening to me, you love power. You love having power and influence over others. And so the things that you're willing to do to get that often are sin, but it just comes back to the fact that you want power and you want influence. You want to be significant in that way. For some of you listening, it's control. You need to know that you've got control. You can control your spouse, your kids, your future, your health. You, if you can feel control, then you can feel secure. And so the sins that you commit against others are really coming back to this idea that I just need to feel like I've got control, that I've got everything in control. For some of you, it's comfort and pleasure. You need new experiences and the things that you go do to fill up your need for comfort and pleasure, the sins that you commit when you go, go about doing that, just comes back to the core idol. I need to feel comfortable. I need to feel pleasure. For some of us, I've been saying you, you, and you, but the fourth core idol is definitely mine. 
fourth core idol is approval, acceptance, other people thinking you're good, the approval of others. And so the sins that we commit internally and externally, what we do to others, it comes out of that core idol that I need to be approved of. I'm chasing after approval. What it's going to take is Christians turning from their idols and turning to Christ. That's what, what, what will awaken the church. If we turn from the core idol of power and say to Jesus, you have all power in heaven on earth given to you, and I'll trust in your power. When we look at our obsession for control and instead look at Jesus and say, you are sovereign over all things, the maker of all things. Your control is better than mine, and I give up my control over my life. When it is, I, I look at this core idol of comfort, and we look at Jesus and say, besides you are pleasures forevermore, and so I'm not going to chase the comforts and pleasures of this world, but seek after the eternal pleasures that you give when people like me say, I am not going to chase the approval of others. I've already been approved of through Christ by the God of the universe, and so I'm not going to walk looking to get the approval of others. When that happens, the church does arise. The church does get on fire and start moving forward towards the tasks that we have been given by our king. Christina, what a good email. Thanks for finding the show. I'm glad you did. Thanks for listening. And thanks for the email. We'll be back with more listener feedback when you come back for the rest of the Corey Truax Show. Typically when I'm giving you listener feedback, it's from people I don't actually know or like I social media know them, but I don't really know them. But I'm going to give you some listener feedback now from someone who is, I consider a brother, like not my actual blood brother, but my brother in the blood ball. I was trying to do a Christian thing there. Like, you know, the blood of Jesus brother or something like that, but I couldn't find it. Uh, Matt, his name is Matt. We grew up together. We're in Sunday school together. Uh, he is a, just one of the godliest men I've ever known. And a great preacher involved over with heritage. I believe it's called heritage Bible church. Um, in one of the older parts of Greenville, it's just a great ministry over there. And so he, tweeted me some response to a show, which by the way, Matt, if you're listening now, I didn't even know you listened to the show. So that's cool. Thanks, man. I had no idea. I'm touched by that. So I want to give you some of that response from Matt after I remind you what I said. So last week's episode, I was trying to respond to some of the COVID-19 conspiracy theory people. So, I mean, specifically the that something big is happening in the background and it's it's from nefarious people with power and we'll never know their name and it's a shadow like a shadow government type situation is the theory and I was responding that I don't I, I've I have had a long bias against that type of thinking I don't think it's helpful I don't think it's founded in evidence but there's a distinction that I, I think I did a bad job of drawing that Matt wants to draw here and so uh, that's what I said that I, I don't believe COVID-19 conspiracy theories the same way I don't. I don't find the evidence at all compelling for 9-11 conspiracy theories and mass shootings being conspiracy theories. And again, I've, I've done the work. I, and that's, I think it's really important for conspiracy theory people to recognize. I have not ignored you. I've listened to Alex Jones. Guys, over in my, I have a brand new TV I'm looking at right now. It's awesome. On my new TV right now, right below it, there is a set of documentaries. I think it adds up to like 12 hours from a guy named Chris Pinto, maybe. But Chris Pinto has this really developed conspiracy world that I, that I can demolish 
and not much, and not not take long to do because it's irrational. It's historically inaccurate. I mean, I've done the work. I've consumed all the stuff, and I just find it really uncompelling. I've done the YouTube videos. I've I I know the perspective. I I just don't. I'm not compelled by it at all. But there is again this distinction that I want to draw. Matt tweets this, and I can't quite tell because Twitter's so weird. I can't tell in what order these came in. So I'm just going to read them in the order that I think they came in. Matt writes, Hey bro, just listen to the show. You're doing a great job, by the way. Well, thanks, sir. Thank you, sir. You mentioned that everyone's natural tendencies are towards one-worldism. I wholeheartedly agree. That's an important point. Because the conspiracy world, is, especially there's a, there's a part of Christianity that's into the conspiracy world, sees a lot of going towards one-world government, one-worldism, as... It's part, it's part of a goal of some, some shadowy figures out there. I don't think there's shadowy figures. I just think that that's how humans are. That if we get to a one-world government, that's almost a logical conclusion. Like, it's a logical conclusion of how the human nature is because of the... the I think I mentioned last week, Tower of Babel. It's just how we are. Um, on conspiracy... I think this is the order. On conspiracy... Satan has always been the conspirator from the beginning, desiring to dethrone God and become like the Most High. Yes, there is certainly agreement there that there's, there is a power of this world, principalities and powers of this world, this air, that, that's not been, not been vanquished for all of time yet. And I, I think the model of Scripture would be that Satan would want, for example very powerful secular governments, when he's had control of powerful secular governments, he gets to kill Christians a lot. It's one of his favorite pastimes because he's Satan. Matt writes, Knowing that Satan is the tempter and that he takes advantage of our depraved tendencies, we also know that there are men and women who divulge in their depraved desires to be in control and to have power over and to take advantage of situations. Agree with that. I think when... When... Governments take power not their own. I'm never surprised by that. Like I can't, I can't imagine those Chinese leaders took all that communist power for themselves. Well, yeah, of course I can. That's human nature. And then when I see it here, when I see the mayor of Chicago take the the powers that she took, when I saw Barack Obama just take upon executive power that didn't belong to him, when I saw George W. Bush do it, I, I see Donald Trump do it. I go, well, yeah, it's not good. We need to stop it. But yeah, uh, that's that's a normal thing for humans to do. And when you have a bunch of unredeemed leaders that we do, yes, no doubt. I would say the devil is is the influencer. Satan is the influencer of those minds. Then next thing he says is, would it be feasible to believe that Satan is that puppet master to those following him in power? working towards his pithy imitation of God's ruling power. Scripture says we can only serve one master, Satan capitalizing on that knowledge of folks desiring power. Yeah, so the thing that I have, I I was about to say no patience for, but I shouldn't say that. The thing I am very skeptical of and think that there's very effective arguments to disprove is that there are secret organizations made up of people that we can't even name who are running governments from behind the scenes. But if the idea is, is, is Satan 
as someone who tempts human hearts and human minds, influencing world leaders, yeah. I mean, Satan's trying to influence my mind. He just can't because of the Holy Spirit. He's influencing all the minds of all the unredeemed. So, yes. Uh, Last thing, and this is the one I wanted to spend some time on. I assume you still believe there is a coming Antichrist. Question mark. I was just thinking on how you mentioned that you didn't believe there was a dark spiritual force behind any of this. So I, I think there's a dark spiritual force behind like COVID-19 because it is viruses like this weren't God's, weren't God's plan. It's sin that did it. So sin breaks the world. So that's a dark spiritual force. The coming Antichrist thing, I don't know. I, uh, I have, as I, as I read through all the discourse and revelation, I, I, I don't think so. And I'm, I'm in pretty good company here. I'm in R.C. Sproul company here that does not see that there is a person coming, some demonic-infused or even devil-infused like person that's going to take power of a one-world government. That is not my eschatology. I don't, I don't think that's how, that's how the story ends. I don't think that's how the story of humanity is. And I understand there's lots of folks that do. I got family that fully believe that and I've got and I actually totally recognize I could be wrong in my eschatology but no like the answer is I I think there's a spirit of antichrist that there have been antichrists for all time I think Satan has been trying to set up his own shadow kingdom a a shadow of or a a version of his own kingdom a, a, a substitute kingdom since his fall but that whole version of events, like the Tim LaHaye version of events, I don't. I think is, I think it. I was about to be meaner than I should. I think it's totally false. And there's not a Nikolai Carpathia coming. That there's that if we do end up having a one-world government on this on this earth, if that happens, that it was because of human nature and Satan using it. It wasn't to install one person who's going to be the Antichrist. You know, now I'm getting tempted to jump right in here to something another friend texted me glenn said i I should do something on eschatology because i i I have an eschatology that is very different than the one i grew up with and what i think a lot of my tribe my theological tribe is into so like that that probably surprised a lot of you i don't think there's an antichrist i don't think there's one person that's going to come and rule over a uh, and rule over a, a one world government i don't think that's happening and if there, again, if there does end up being a one-world currency, or if there does end up being a, a one-world government, it's not because the Bible prophesied it. Because that's what I'm saying is I don't think that's part of the eschatology. I don't think, I don't think that's what the Bible is saying. So there you go. Um, that's that's the the nuance I think Matt gives there that's important is what he finished with. He finished with Ephesians six. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We wrestle against rulers and against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness against spiritual forces in heavenly places in which we've got total unity and harmony because that's the true enemy. The true enemy is Satan and sin. It's cosmic and it's not, it's not physical here. So uh, thanks, uh, Matt, for the tweets. And thanks for listening. It does mean a ton to me that f- actual friends listen to me as well. Um, if yeah, I don't know. I'll ask for your affirmation. If I should do a show on eschatology, just walk through why I 
I've, I've talked a little bit about the rapture. I don't think there's the rapture. I think that there's a second coming of Jesus. And if you want to call the second coming of Jesus where he just comes to earth, that we're never getting an escape. He's just coming to earth to set up a kingdom that I, I don't think the Bible says there has to be a one world currency. What the mark of the beast is, we could do that. Well, what the Antichrist is, like, I can do all that. I could probably do it in a show. Let me know. CoreyTruackShow at gmail.com. CoreyTruackShow at gmail.com. Or you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Hook me up there if you think that's something we should do on the show together. Now, I'm about to finish the show with something political. We haven't done politics in a long time. I want to first give my, my credentials here. Because often when you say something criticizing someone on one side, you get assumed to be a supporter of the other side. And so I'm going to criticize both sides here really quickly for the same thing. Um, because I don't want there to be any ambiguity about me being a partisan. I'm about to talk about two people who I'm not a fan of and wish the two of them weren't in the position that they are in. Joe Biden is getting incoherent, and we should probably be concerned about that. He's at the age where that kind of incoherence means something about diminished mental capacity. I'm going to play for you audio in a minute of that, but to give my bona fides, I can't find it anymore because this happened back in 2016 and I can't find it in my archive. But back in 2016, I did a dramatic reading. I was making fun of Donald Trump for being incoherent and not speaking with clarity. I found the transcript of it, but I couldn't find the dramatic reading. So I'm going to give you an example so that I'm equal opportunity. This is an actual speech Donald Trump gave, or I think it was a response to a question. I can't read it all. It's too long. But this, this is how it reads. He said, look, having nuclear, my uncle was a great professor and scientist and engineer, Dr. John Trump at MIT. Good genes, very good genes, okay? Very smart. The Wharton School of Finance, very good, very smart, you know? If you're a conservative Republican, if I were a liberal, if like, okay, if I ran as a liberal Democrat, they would say I'm one of the smartest people anywhere in the world. But when you're a conservative Republican, they try, oh, do they do a number? That's why I always start off, went to Wharton, was a good student, went there, went there, did this, built a fortune. I could go on. You hear the incoherence? You don't have a sentence there? I made fun of him at the time. I did it as a dramatic reading with violins in the background because I thought that was very funny. And it was, by the way. Now, here is Joe Biden not sounding much better. We cannot let this, we've never allowed any crisis from the Civil War straight through to the pandemic of 17, all the way around 16. We have never, never let our democracy take second fiddle. We can both have a democracy and elections and at the same time correct the public health. Now, that's not the only one of these I could have used, but this one we got popularized. I, I transcribed it for you. Here is what he said. We cannot let this. We've never allowed any crisis from the Civil War straight through to the pandemic of 17 all the way around 16. We have never, ever let our democracy sake second fiddle waith. There was the word waith in there. I don't know where it was supposed to be. Second fiddle waith. We can both have a democracy and elections at the same correct, at the same correct public the public health. He didn't say time. He said, and at the same, correct the public health. I don't think he said time. It's, it's both of them. It's worth talking about. It is, I'm trying to be, 
I do not want to be a jerk. I, I want to have compassion on this because for most situations, this is sad. Our grandparents get older, our parents eventually get older, and one of the natural consequences of the fall of man is the mind starts to go. And it's been almost a grace for Joe Biden that this COVID-19 thing has happened because he's never on TV anymore. But almost every time he's on TV, something like that happens where it's just hard to follow the thought. And I don't know, or at least follow the follow the flow of thought. And, and so now there's been discussion about Democrats trying to find a, a replacement for him because, of course, Bernie Sanders dropped out and he is now officially the nominee. Like, he's he's it. About them trying to find a replacement for him in uh, in the summer when they have their convention. That's the kind of thing that happens in novels and movies and shows. I, I don't think it's going to be a thing that happens. I think he's going to be the nominee. And that should be something... That should be something for all of us to be concerned about. It, because the other the other person, the current president, is up is about as coherent. And so, man, if there's ever been a moment for some third option to arise, man, it wouldn't be nice to have right now. And if that person could just speak in sentences and string them together in a way that makes sense, it would be be good. Here's another unpopular idea I brought up on the show before. You know, the, the founders set a minimum level, a minimum age to be president. And I'm starting to wonder if there should be a maximum age. Because even for these two guys, you know, you've you've done enough, Trump and Biden. Go just go do stuff. Go 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 enjoy being older. You're in your final years. Go do that. Because there's some risks associated with with age and things that start happening to your mind, and I'm trying to be as delicate as I can be as I say all that. All right, so finish the show with a little politics. If you would be so kind, share the show with others, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. It's always helpful, helps people find the show. I'll be back with another new edition of the show next week. Until then, everybody, peace and love.